Sri Damanar Janani by Shivaram Swami Chapter 4 Yashoda Finds and Catches Krishna Avanchamana Janinani Brihachalach Charoni Barakranta Gati Sumanjama Javena Vishram Sita Kesha Bandhana Chuta Prasunanugati Paramrishad. While following Krishna, Madhya Shoda, her thin waist overburdened by her heavy breasts, naturally had to reduce her speed. Because of following Krishna very swiftly, her hair became loose and the flowers in her hair were falling after her. Yet she did not fail to capture her son. Srimad Bhagavatam. 10, 9, 10. While Krishna was busy writing new pages in the annals of divine mischief, Madhya Shoda illuminated the kitchen with the sunshine of loving service. Grabbing two cloths with characteristically hurried movements, she lifted the weighty pot off the fire and placed it to the side, all the while shaming the glowing stove with her bodily effulgence. Wiping drops of perspiration from her brow, Yashoda Devi examined the pot's contents, muttering, This milk is now boiling to completion. It is done. She then mopped the spilt milk from the floor as lovingly as she would bathe her own son, her conviction being that everything in the house was for his service and thus as important as he. Occasionally Yashoda Devi would think, what is he doing? And cast glances in his direction. Fortunately for Krishna, his illusory potency arranged that Yashoda saw him playing on the floor before an intact churn, patiently waiting for her return. He is such a good boy, she thought. But that was hardly the case. While mother was being misled by Yogamaya, Krishna venting his anger in the storeroom, splashing yogurt everywhere and consuming the butter to his satisfaction. And Yogamaya was not only deceiving Yashoda's sense of sight, but all her sense of time. While she was of the impression that her duties had spanned only moments, Yashoda had actually been preoccupied for a much longer amount of time, sufficient for Krishna to have broken the pot, secured the storehouse keys, laid waste to his mother's produce, and abandoned the carnage for the courtyard. That took more than a few moments, and although forbidden to see, the birds nearby could hear what Krishna and his mother were up to, and so witness the dual passing of time. While cleaning up, Yashoda spoke reassuring words to her son. I am just coming, dear. Be a good boy. But Krishna was not there to hear, and he was hardly being a good boy. Already in the courtyard, he was looking for a spot to make merry with the spoils of his escapade. Yashoda finally returned to the churning pot with a, Here I am, but stopped dead in her tracks at what she saw. The birds watching Krishna's antics below turned to the sound of her voice. Vishnu! Vishnu, what is this? What has happened? 
Yashoda could hardly believe her eyes. At first she thought that the yogurt had seeped through the pots, thinking clay pots can lose their contents even if ornamented and tasseled. Then she noticed the broken churn. It did not look broken a minute ago, but it was broken now. Before considering the cause of the damage, Yashoda expressed sympathy for the pot, which she deemed to be an intimate member of the household. Poor thing! But Yashoda's lament was soon broken by the distant tinkling of anklets that begged the question, Queen, where is your son? Those are Krishna's anklets. She looked here and there. Where is he? In reply came the unmistakable sound of a clanging pot. O oh, queen, here he is. But where was that? It sounded far away. Yoshoda ran to the bedchamber, and beyond that to her dressing salon. He was in neither place. Returning to the churning pot, she took in the scene. Sharp rock, broken churn, spilt yogurt, splattered footprints, and yogurt handprints on the wall everywhere. But where was he? Yashoda scanned the devastation, ignoring the hints from the anklets and the pot. Who would dare to do such a thing? Her heart replied, none but your son. But he has never done such a thing before. He's done it now. But I have tried so hard to teach him good behavior. That may be, but this is how he's behaving at present. He must be extremely angry. No doubt. Yashoda remained hesitant, unwilling to blame her little boy. But no one else was present. Besides, who else would be so clever? Squinting slightly, she examined the expertise that broke the churn. He is very clever, and now he has become a pundit and churn-breaking. But where was that pundit? Although proud of Krishna's precociousness, Yashoda Devis fleetingly put thoughts of her son aside. Raising her head, she scanned the bedchambers again. They were silent and empty. Her eyes fell upon the birds sitting on the balcony. If they could only talk! then they would know the truth. And although the birds could talk, they were afraid of Krishna's anger, and so stared emptily at the queen. Where was Krishna? Yashoda remained distracted by his antics. Looking at the churn, a faint smile appeared on her lips. That smile was like the moments of dawn, when bird song is first heard, when sunshine is first seen, and when the scent of blossoms is first inhaled. It was a smile of pure joy, and from that smile shone beams of affection that spread throughout the room and almost swept the birds off their porch. She smiled wider to think of Krishna's naughtiness, cleverness, and subsequent flight. Where was he? Distractedly, she thought, did he really do this? Could he? As if to sniff out the truth of events, Queen Yashoda raised her left forefinger to her regal nose. By this gesture, she signaled to the absent Krishna, 
You may be a pundit in breaking pots, but I'm a pundit in catching butter thieves. Finally, Yashoda acknowledged Krishna as the culprit and concluded, In fear of punishment, he has run away. Her smile widened, and with the rays of that smile, she charmed the hearts of the goddess above. Raising her eyebrows with a mixture of anger and amusement, Yashoda thought, No doubt about it. This turmoil must be the work of that prince of rascals. But where was he? Madhya Shoda turned as if to search after him, but then became apprehensive and uncertain. What should I do? The birds looked at each other, then to Krishna in the courtyard below, and again back to the queen. They knew what to do. But who were they to say? Then from above... The voice of a goddess spoke the answer. Shishu madu krid atakshan madu siddham pipasan Sara sija madu kaladaschedam acharya pashan Javya virgalana matram tatra nirvidya madhye Kamalamparam achan O Queen, this baby honeybee broke a hole at the bottom of the budding lotus flower. Finding only some dripping liquid inside, he became disappointed and went to another lotus where he found honey. Shamayan chakshite dhugam shubitam tattava sudakshata kalita Samasi yadishishu kopam sadrisham uchaishtatada prasameshtyaha. You have displayed skill by having calmed the boiling milk. If you can now also calm your child's anger, your reputation will certainly be praised far and wide. Madhya Shoda's smile now spread to its borders. Even the demigods relished the pastimes of her son. What could be more praiseworthy? Casting a glance of sympathy at the spilt yogurt, Yashoda Devi began to follow Krishna's delicate footprints. And as she did, her motherly pride grew with each every step. Making a show of false anger, she mused, The pranks of my son are unlimited. His every movement increased his pride, and his every theft increases his bliss. Although his acts disrupt our village, they are also a festival of joy for everyone, especially for his mother. But where was he? Wherever he was, Krishna was always in the temple of his mother's heart. He could not escape from there, partly because of his presence within her and partly because of her overflowing love. Yashoda Devi's heart was a temple of the most select gems of beauty. And that inner beauty was reflected in the mirror of her transcendental form, for which she was universally famous as the reservoir of beautiful things. All beautiful Yashoda now became inspired and beautified with further feelings of affection for Krishna's thieving ways. Wanting to embrace and console him, but not seeing him, she became morose. In divine sulkiness, she resolved to seek him out. The floor was slippery from the streams of spilt yogurt flowing here and there, and so Yashoda's steps were measured as she traced the marks that sang of his delinquence. 
Oh, mother, whispered his footprints. Had you been attentive earlier, you would have heard the jingling of Krishna's ankle bells and the rattle of yogurt containers, and then you would have caught him in the act. As it is, just see how he has laid your storeroom to waste. Indeed, when Yashoda stepped into the vestibule, she saw the storeroom door ajar and her key dangling from the lock. How dare he steal my key, and from my private Almira? Opening the door wide, Yashoda Devi was greeted by a band of panicky crows that had invaded the storeroom through a window and set upon her exposed produce. Caught in the act, and their only escape route blocked, the birds set into a startling cacophony. Their feet Beaks and wings smeared with yogurt and butter, the crows flapped around the storeroom in a frenzy. And when they finally spotted their chance, they flew past the flailing arms of the queen and out the window through which they had come. How embarrassing, said the parrots on the terrace. They give Raja birds a bad name, added the owl. As they always do, scowled Shuka. Madhya Shoda surveyed the carnage before her. Krishna had lowered a few hanging pots. Some of them were broken, others spilt, and the crows had then plundered not only the spilt yogurt, but the pot still hanging. It was a mess. My entire stock has become contaminated and unofferable. Counting the pots, she saw one was missing, and that rascal took one pot with him, Yashoda's rising anger was tempered by her amazement. What three-year-old could contrive such a game plan? At first, Yashoda tried to bring some semblance of order to her storeroom. She collected the broken pots and retied the silken ropes upon which they had hung. But it was too much for one person. Besides, there was a more pressing task at hand, catching the butter thief. Somehow he managed to mastermind this mayhem, pass through all the rooms with a pot, and escape through the back door without my seeing. This boy is a mystic incarnate. Dropping the broken pots with a clatter, Yashoda wiped her hands with the folds of her sari, and, creeping like a detective on the tips of her toes, she followed the path left by her son, step by buttery step. O great sages, O demigods, O perfected devotees, meditate on the ruby glow of the lotus feet of the universal mother as she balances on her soft petal toes. At the top of the staircase leading to the back garden was a latticed window. Stealthily approaching it, Yashoda peeked out, and lo and behold, in the courtyard below she saw he who yogis fail to see with their hearts even after many, many years of penance. Standing on a large, upturned wooden mortar, his lotus eyes rolling in agitation, Krishna was silently clapping his hands to catch the attention of the nearby monkeys. I cannot believe it, she whispered. Just after Krishna's birth, to avoid the disturbance that grinding would cause her sleeping son, Yashoda had the thigh-tall spice mortar removed from her kitchen and taken to the courtyard. 
When unused, it was kept upside down so birds could not soil it with its large decorative pestle nearby. Yoshoda whispered to herself, Incredible! He scaled that high mortar without anything to step on? And so he had. Now balancing on the mortar, Krishna looked like a gopa conductor bringing monkey musicians to attention. Yashoda watched the monkeys fearlessly approach as Krishna sat down on the mortar, crossing his chubby legs in a swastikasana and placing the pot on his lap. Where did he learn to sit like a yogi? The wind answered, Mother, he is the guru of all yogis. Seeing all the monkeys heeding Krishna's call, she added, but it is all for naught. He has now transformed from the prince of yogis into the king of monkeys. She paused. By associating too much with those mischief mongers, my son has become as mischievous as a monkey. And so the king is holding court, rewarding his ministers for their counsel. Truly Krishna appeared like a monkey king. But unlike a carefree king, Krishna was anxiously looking at here and there, his bumblebee eyes restless at the inevitable appearance of his mother. As if to calm himself, Krishna dipped into the pot, scooped out a handful of yogurt, deftly swallowed half, and threw the rest to the nearest monkey, and that the others crowded around. Krishna kept the monkeys in order with clicking sounds while systematically handing yogurt to one after the other. While doing so, he regularly looked around to see if anyone was approaching. Unable to suppress her joy, Yashoda covered her mouth to keep from laughing. No doubt they had a natural affinity for each other. And surely they did. The monkeys of Gokul were no ordinary monkeys. Long ago, when Krishna appeared as Sri Ram, the monkeys had helped him retrieve his wife Sita from the clutches of the demon Ravana. In gratitude for their sacrifice, then Krishna was feeding the monkeys now, and he was feeding them to their full satisfaction. But Krishna's act of simian charity would not be without retribution. He knew that the theft of yogurt and more so the vandalizing of Yashoda's storeroom would provoke some sort of punishment, and that had been the case even for lesser transgressions in the past. And in this present escapade, Krishna had truly crossed the boundary from childish mischief to juvenile delinquency. And it was only a matter of time before angry Mother Yashoda would find him. And when she did, she would not be sympathetic to the excuse of his long-standing debt to his monkey allies. Transcendental fear overcame Krishna. It took hold of his entire being in the way that an enemy king directs his army to overrun a town. Although demons and demigods fear him, Krishna's every limb and sense was victimized by divine fear of his mother. As he fed the monkeys, Krishna repeatedly looked to the left and to the right, his lotus eyes dancing nervously on the stage of transcendental emotion. His mind echoed the cries of every limb. When is she coming? From which direction will she come? 
Although feeling little remorse, Krishna's agitated heart raced. His breathing labored, and the palms of his hands stung uncomfortably. It seemed that fate had turned against him, and colluding with his mother, it was punishing him even before her arrival. His eyes dilated, his nose flared, and his mouth slightly opened. Krishna struggled to contain the fear in his mind, a mind that instinctively clambered, Run! Hide! Flee! But Krishna's warrior spirit could not bow to a coward's dharma. What would his friends say when they heard that he had run away? Instead, he devised a plan. If she catches me, mother will brand me a thief. To protect myself from her and my friend's ridicule, I will become invisible. Krishna's plan was to disappear. He would assume the role of a mystic yogi and become smaller than the smallest and enter an atom. There were many such atoms in the mortar, and Yashoda would never find him there. Turning his eyes inward, his mind fixed on the Supersoul, Krishna entered the path of perfected mystics. After all, he was their guru. Steadying his senses, fixing his mind, and controlling his breathing, Krishna prayed to the Supreme Soul. Nothing happened. He thought, yogis who worship me in my atomic form, pervading all subtle elements, fixing their minds upon that alone, attain the mystic perfection of anima. Why can I not do so? Yet try as he might, Krishna was unable to accomplish his desire. Some invisible force restrained him. Some force greater than his own kept him from disappearing. What was it? In the way that an ant is stopped by a human's hand, Krishna, whose potencies are insuperable, was obstructed by a superior power. But what power was superior to Krishna's mysticism? Only the power of love. The power of Mother Yashoda's love. A love fully determined to discipline Krishna. A love fully determined that he would not grow into a delinquent. A love similar to Radha's who in the future would force Krishna to relinquish a Narayan disguise. And the wielder of that power was now tiptoeing down the palace stairs, planning to catch her thieving son unawares as he pondered how he, of all beings, had fallen from the yogic path. Yashoda Devi had been looking through the lattice window into the courtyard below, Eager to play the role that fate had scripted for her, she craned her neck, turning it sideways to better see without being seen. Then slowly, with measured steps, she cautiously followed Krishna's footprints down the stairs, halting inside the doorway to have another peek. Although he is the intelligence of the most intelligent, Krishna mistakenly sat with his back to the house giving his mother the added advantage of sneaking up on him. Yet the monkeys were his sentinels, and facing her, they would react to her approach, thinking, let me be patient until the monkeys are distracted by their feasts. Queen Yashoda waited for the opportune moment, and when it came, careful not to step on fallen leaves or twigs, she moved forward. As she took her first step, Excitement so stirred Yashoda's being as to challenge her balance. 
However, the birds on the balcony thought that restraining her laughter was even a greater challenge still. Taking her next step, Yoshoda noticed her husband's jeweled walking stick against the wall. He must have forgotten it in the flurry of his departure. Yashoda Devi looked at Krishna and back again to the cane. For unprecedented mischief, unprecedented discipline is required. She grasped the stick. And as she did, the earth seemed to shake. What would happen to the creation and its residents if their shelter and support was beaten? I will not hit him, she thought, but I will give him a good scare. Mountains, rivers, and demigods sighed in relief. Moving forward, like Yamaraj's emissary, Yashoda held the stick in her left hand. And able to stand by idly, a breezed ass. What would you do when you reach your son? Yashoda's heart replied, I will catch him. What else? Do you think you can catch me? Why are you causing a disturbance? Because what you are undertaking may be far more difficult than you anticipate, O queen. Hush! Unable to follow her order, the wind whispered softly in Krishna's ear, O Lord, she whom you cannot see or hear, but fear most, is near. Flee! Krishna spun around. He who enchants the demigods with his monsoon-hued lips saw Yashoda approaching. In fear, he leapt to his feet. Standing atop the mortar, Krishna caught his mother's intent gaze, and for a moment their eyes locked. Madhya Shoda was like a yogi in trance. In the way that a mystic is fully absorbed on his lord, she was fully fixed on her son, but unlike a yogi, the queen held a stick. Krishna's gaze went from hers to the cane. He knew that punishment was inevitable, but a stick? Is she actually holding a stick? He who sees everything everywhere doubted what he now saw. To clear his vision, he blinked. She was holding a stick. Krishna has seen his mother raise a stick to chase monkeys and herd cows, but never to discipline him. This was incredulous. Is she really threatening me with a stick? The jewels on the stick flashed in the morning sun. O oh Lord, you are the supreme chastiser, and I your instrument. Yet I am helpless in the hands of your mother. Please do not take offense. But Krishna had no time for pardons. Jumping from the mortar, he was just like Prahlad thrown from a cliff into an abyss unknown. But who would catch him? How would this escapade end? How is this happening? Landing on his chubby feet, Krishna stole another look at his mother. Was this all real? Is she really coming at me with a stick? The wind answered, Run! Run! The cane added, If the queen can raise a stick, she can also use it. Krishna needed no further advice. He ran. And so did the bold monkeys, who had their fill of yogurt. Scampering up the nearest tree, they taunted the stick and screeched at the thought of it touching Krishna. Although they fought Ravana and Lanka, they were powerless before Yashoda and Gokul. 
The demigods and sages who were fortunate enough to witness this scene looked in wonder. Mesmerized by the collage of Krishna's transcendental beauty abode in pastimes. As Krishna ran at full speed, his newly fitted earrings swung wildly, shooting colored rays across his cheeks. Being in such close proximity to him, the earrings attain a good fortune that heretofore been Yashoda's, the bliss of kissing his lotus face. By this blessing, Krishna's earrings would become famous as the chiefs of his ornaments. Yet even the chief adornment, the kundala, failed to beautify Krishna as well as he beautified himself, he whose divine form was, indeed, the ornament of all ornaments. The demigods observed this fountainhead of beauty and were enchanted. Although there were many incarnations and deities throughout the universe, none could compare to the charm of this child. The demigods concluded that this was due to the distinctiveness of Gokul, where lived gopas and gopis, cows and calves. Only in Gokul could the sweetness of Krishna's beauty be fully manifested, and only in Gokul could his extraordinary feature as a cowherd be revealed. Fascinated, one demigod said to the other, how extraordinary! For the crime of stealing fresh yogurt, the Supreme Lord is being threatened by a stick-wielding gopi. Moreover, he who is feared by demons, and we demigods alike, is running away in fear of her. Fear? cut another demigod. Yes, Krishna is running from his mother in fear. Overhearing this conversation, similar to one they had heard earlier, the birds nodded their heads in agreement and listened to the demigods converse. Is he really afraid, or just running as if he were afraid? Of course Krishna knows how much he, she loves him, and therefore he is also confident that she cannot be angry for long. But is that really the case? Look at his face! In this land of Gokul, there's no chance of pretense even for the Supreme Lord, the law of sweetness dictates that he behaves like an ordinary child. We must therefore conclude that he's full of fear. Yes, such a display of emotion may be bewildering even to the learned, but the Lord associates say, Bhaya Bhavanaya, Krishna is possessed by thoughts of fear. That was the demigod's conclusion. Krishna was afraid. In the meantime, reasoning that there would be many people on the road, Krishna ran towards the front gates. Surely the queen would not strike him in the presence of her subjects. And even if she tried, he could hide among the crowds or find a guardian amongst them. Once again, he who is the wisdom of the wise erred in judgment. It was Diwali day, and almost everyone had left for the festival. The customary gathering for a royal audience was absent. Knowing this, all-wise Yashoda Devi ran after Krishna without hesitation. Krishna was perplexed at his own conduct. Why am I running away? After all, who could catch him? Even the yogis who meditate upon me through excruciating penances, and after a long time only could mold their minds to a form like my own. Yet I personally remain far from them. If they cannot catch me, then why should I fear this gopi? 
panting, Krishna answered his own question. Because she holds the secret of unconditional love, and that love can control, catch, and punish me. That said, Madhya Shoda was still a good distance from Krishna. Although the force of her loving desire bridled him, neither could she catch him, neither he could escape. It was a tug of war in which they were, for the time being, evenly matched. In the future, a demon, Kaliyavana, would run after Krishna, never to reach him because of his own sinful and antagonistic ways. But Yashoda was neither sinful nor antagonistic. She was pure and loving. There's a further difference, Krishna thought. I did not have to run from Kaliyavana. I walked leisurely. But now I have to run, and if I do not, she will catch me. How is this possible? It was possible by Yashoda's unparalleled good fortune, which surpassed the good fortune of all devotees, what to speak of asceticism of the yogis and demons. She could hold Krishna on her lap and breastfeed him. And when she so asked, he would dance to her songs. Why then could she not cause him to run? When there is a gale, travelers are swept forward by the wind. Similarly, I feel as if I am in a gale whose wind is forcing me to flee. Yes, Krishna was being propelled forward by a gale that was the gusty wind of Yashoda's love. As for his mother, Yashoda thought she would catch him with the very next step. Yet he continued to remain one step away. While she was the supreme love personified, he was the supreme independence personified. Both were supreme in their own right. Both were determined, yet neither could gain ground over the other. No matter how much they tried, mother and son remained one arm distant, never cl any closer, never any further. Run as she might, she could get no closer. Run as he might, he could get no further. For Yashoda, Krishna was an ordinary boy, perhaps a little more than ordinary, but her son was nonetheless a gopa of their village. And her conviction of his humanness was so unshakable that it shook the tree of his divinity to its roots. But the arm's length between them remained. Stop running, she called out. Stop, O foremost of the world's thieves. Wide-eyed with fear, Krishna looked over his shoulder to see the image of maternal love. For a moment, the attractiveness of his mother arrested his movement. Her effulgent beauty, her full breasts, her broad hips, all radiated a magnetic affection that caught his heart and made him falter. It seemed that he would stop. And just when he was within Yashoda's reach, the wind advised, Turn away! As he did, Krishna was freed from his mother's magnetic attraction, and momentum returned to his legs. He ran once again. Once again, they were an arm lengths apart. Yashoda Devi was determined to discipline her son, and so she followed swiftly after him. But soon she began to feel the weight of her large hips and breasts and the rising fatigue in her legs. In a physically hampered condition, beads of perspiration falling from her arms and face, she became mentally distressed. 
Will I tire faster than he? Using her superior intelligence, beautiful Yashoda applied psychological intimidation to compensate for her wariness. Stop! Stop, you thief and liar! How dare you run from your mother! Stop where you are and stop carrying on so! Yashoda's order did not fall on deaf ears. Krishna never disobeyed his mother, but neither had she had ever threatened him with a stick. Slowing somewhat, but still keeping his distance, he turned to call over his shoulder. I will stop if you drop your stick. Yashoda sensed a measure of success from her command and an equal measure of surrender in his answer. She slowed, happy to seize her tired limbs. In response, Krishna stopped, keeping a respectful distance while casting wary glances as Yashoda wiped her brow. If you are afraid of punishment, then why did you break the butter churn and ransack my storehouse? Still looking at his mother from the corner of his eyes, Krishna's voice wavered. I'll never do it again. Then looking at the stick, he added, Please drop the stick. Loving devotion transformed Yashoda Devi's mind into a temple of amazement in which the presiding deity was this never-before-seen form of Krishna, a Krishna full of fear. But when, with the stick in hand, she tried to approach her deity, it ran away. Again, they remain at arm's length. However, this contest was not just between mother and son. There was a third participant, Yogamaya, and Yogamaya decided that it was time to offer oblations into the fire of Yashoda's aspiration. Divinely inspired by her son's own potency, knitting her eyebrows, the queen again chased after naughty Krishna. The brief respite had refreshed Yashoda, but like yogis and jnanis, she was unable to capture him. Yet driven by love, she continued to try, and as she did, the momentum of her movements caused the garlanded hair knot to come undone and its flowers to fall at her feet. Trying to atone for having tattled on her, the wind made the flowers fall before and behind the queen, offering Pushpanjali. In truth, the demigods have orchestrated this shower of flowers in an effort to worship the Lord's mother. Although there was only a handful of flowers in her hair, by the demigod's desire, a continual stream of petals softened the ground where she stepped, and another stream worshipped her footprints, the most sacred of sacred places. Although thoughts of Yashoda's stick distressed Krishna to the extreme, he could not help but smile at the demigod's worship. They have done well. Seeing his mother redoubled spirit, Krishna sourced a psychological intimidation of his own. With his long wailing sounds and showers of false tears, he publicized his tale of woe, thinking, Mother will be intimidated if I attract the attention of the neighbors. But Mother Yashoda was not intimidated in the least. To the contrary, she loudly rebuked him. Who are you to complain? O oh, best of thieves! 
running as fast as she could, Yoshoda tried to close the distance between them, but no matter how she tried, she could not quite reach him. Sometimes it appeared as if there was a gust of wind, and sometimes that they were a blur of monsoon blue, sometimes that they were a small cloud followed by a larger cloud, yet always they were a picture of beauty and a treat for the eyes. Suddenly Krishna changed his random maneuvers and headed for the compound gates. It was his last refuge. Where is there shelter for me in this world? But Yashoda Devi was intent, and following him she made known her intention with the whoosh whoosh of the swinging cane. Seeing his mother persistent anger, running as fast as he could, Krishna, who was also tiring, called out in distress, O oh, mother, O oh, sinless one, please drop that stick. Do not punish me with it. If you drop it, I'll come to you. Waiting in balance, his plea and her, her own fatigue, Yashoda made as if to throw away the stick while actually hiding it behind her. I have thrown it away. Deceived, Krishna slowed, and by turning towards her, slowed even more. With Yashoda still running at full speed, the mystical arm distance vanished, and she wrapped her right hand around his right wrist. Now you're caught, rascal. He was, unattainable by the prayers of the brahmanas, the speculation of the jnanis, or the meditation of the yogis, Krishna was now arrested by the love of Mother Yashoda. After all, he was just a plaything in the drama of her motherly affection. For a moment, neither mother nor son spoke. Seeing these developments, the demigods marveled. They were immortal, and they were wise, but they failed to comprehend what they saw. Initially, Brahma and Shiva were upset to see Krishna exhibit fear of his mother, but now they were completely bewildered to see her capture him. If Krishna was so susceptible to a gopi, could he really protect them? Indifferent to the concerns of heaven, Yashoda paused to catch her breath. The fine locks curling over her face dripped diamond tears of perspiration, and her milk-moistened blouse heaved from deep breathing. Her loosened hair hung over her shoulders like peahen feathers, and her flushed face shone signs of exhaustion. Yet the touch of her son's hand filled her with an exhilaration that refreshed not only her limbs, but her very being. How special is he, she thought. That he was. But special as he was, Krishna was worried. Under the control of his mother's hand, he whimpered, Mother, please do not beat me. And with his free hand, he rubbed his tear-filled eyes with a palm resembling the delicate petals of a fresh lotus. With a choked voice, Krishna's beautiful mouth emitted a stream of sweet, indistinct words that shamed the nectar cascading from a full moon. Fully realizing that he was helpless in his mother's grasp, his mumbling transformed into sobs. Yashoda thought, in this disturbed condition, this boy is likely to do anything. He is so strong-willed that he may even run away into the forest like Dhruva. 
It's better that I secure him to an, an immovable object until he is composed. I will tie him down. 